I get to kick off a new series, which I'm really excited about, and it's called The Big Ones. Uh, it's rediscovering the great stories of the Bible. And what I like about this, now this is not going to be a consecutive series, like there's not going to be another one next week, okay? It's going to kind of play in and out throughout the year. These, these kind of these teachings on the big stories of Scripture. And if you grew up in Sunday school and children's church and stuff like I did, um, these are the, the Sunday school stories. These are the ones that some of you may be very familiar with. But there's a couple of reasons we really want to dive into this. And, and one of those is, if you were like me, I grew up, I, I was at church every time the doors were open, since a fetus, right? And so Sunday morning, Sunday night, children's church, Sunday school, Wednesday nights, youth group, the whole shebang, vacation Bible school, doors were open, we were there. It's kind of like uh, Mark Lowry said that if you got up and you, on Sunday and you were sick and you say, I can't go to church, and your parents would say, well, throw up and prove it. And if you couldn't throw up, then you were okay. But if you threw up, they said, don't you feel better? Now let's go to church. <laughs> I was there all the time. And so these stories, though, need to be revisited. Because sometimes we think that we have seen them so many times with nothing new to learn. And if you have walked with God for years and years and years, praise God. Praise God for that. But there's also people who are new to the faith. And then when we say things like, you know this story, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so this is an opportunity also to revisit these things to build a foundation for those who have just come to the faith. And if that's you, praise God for that. So we're going to be looking at some stories that are kind of the highlight reel of the Scripture. And today we're going to talk about a guy named Abraham, which seemed only fitting after coming off a series about faith to talk about the patriarch of the faith in Abraham. Now, we could spend literally weeks or months talking about the life of Abraham. We're not going to do that today. Rest assured, I will get you out before 2 o'clock. So the life of Abraham, but I'm going to focus in on a moment in Abraham's life. But in order to get there, I do have to give you some backstory so it makes sense. Are you all okay with that? Good, because you don't really have a choice. So Abraham is known as the friend of God, which is an incredible statement. And now I know some of you biblical scholars out there are going to be like, are we talking about Abram or Abraham? They're the same person. God was, he was originally named Abram. God changed his name to Abraham for the sake of simplicity. I'm going to call him Abraham throughout the rest of the day, just so we all understand who we're talking about. But if we look at the life of Abram, Ham, he was the friend of God. Now, you may be wondering, how do I become the friend of God? And I think that um, if I get this to work, I'll tell you. 
I think it would be summed up in this verse. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This kind of summarizes Abraham's entire life. He just believed. He believed God, and then he moved wherever God told him to move. That's how you become the friend of God. You believe him. When he says to do something, you do it. Pretty simple, right? We should do that like every day. So Abram, I'm doing it. I said I wouldn't just call him Abram, and now I'm doing it. Abraham hears from the Lord. The Lord comes to Abraham, and he says, I want you to leave the land that you are accustomed to, your hometown, and I want you to move to a place that I will show you. And Abraham doesn't argue. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't even question He just does it. He's 75 years old. And he packs up his family, his wife, Sarah, and then all his belongings. And they head in a direction. They're going south. Waiting for the Lord to reveal where they're going. That takes a lot of faith. But it wasn't just believing. He didn't sit at home and go, yes, Lord, I believe you. But I'm going to stay here until you reveal to me exactly what it is that you want me to do. He just went. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And I wish I could really dive into that and talk about that. But I don't have time today. But God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with a bunch of descendants. Like as many as... The sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. There's going to be a lot of people that call you grandpa. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you. It's an incredible thing. And so Abraham and Sarah move. Now, so far, Sarah has been barren. She has been unable to have children. And so when God says, I'm going to bless you, this is like, yes, Lord, finally. And he keeps moving. And some time goes by, and Sarah says, you know what? Maybe it's not me. Maybe Maybe you should have a kid with Hagar, my servant. Let's, God's not really fulfilling his promise. Maybe, maybe it's not meant for me. Maybe you're just supposed to have a kid. And Abraham says, that's a terrible idea. Okay, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and what happens is he has sex with Hagar, his servant of his wife, and she does conceive a child. His name is Ishmael. Now, Abraham is an incredible man of faith. He loves the Lord. He trusts God. But a prophet he is not. Because who could have possibly seen a problem with knocking up your wife's servant and then having both of them live in the same household? This causes some issues, as you may imagine, in the household of Abraham. 
And I think we give him a lot of flack for not waiting on the Lord, not trusting God in this promise. But it's been 10 years. It's been 10 years since God first told him, I'm going to bless you. It's been a decade. Now, if you read the scripture, you will know Sarah's hot. Okay? Sarah is a gorgeous woman. We know it because the Bible repeatedly says so. She's a beautiful woman. So I don't think it's for lack of trying. But she's not conceiving. And 10 years goes by. And they don't hear anything. And decide maybe, maybe there's another way. More time goes by. And Sarah finally conceives. Abraham is now 100 years old, and Sarah is 90. It took 25 years before Sarah conceived. 75 when the promise was given, 25 years later, she conceives the son of promise in Isaac. Now, I want to say this, that if God has placed a promise to you in your life, and you know it's him, but you're just not seeing it happen, hold on. Because this whole time, God never forgot about his promise to Abraham. God never forgot how they felt about the situation. He did not turn a blind eye to anything. It wasn't because Abraham screwed up that God did these things and, it, and he forgot about him or he just did so bad that he wasn't going to fulfill the promise. That's not true at all. Hold on. Abraham's not perfect. He messed up. Go read the text. He messes up quite a bit. But God is faithful. He is always faithful. And if God has placed a promise in your life, hold on. Don't give up. Because he hasn't forgotten. He has not forgotten about you. He has not ever slipped his mind. It is still on the forefront of his mind. And he will fulfill his promise when it is his time to do so. Isaac begins to grow up, and now the contention in the house is huge. And Sarah says, get rid of him. Get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. And Abraham does. He sends him out, and if you go read the text, God miraculously provides for Hagar and Ishmael. And he still blesses Ishmael because he is a descendant of Abraham. And he still gives him a bunch of descendants. And we could talk about how that has impacted history and society today, but we don't have time for that. But you can go back and you can read the text to see how God provided even in that situation. So now what we have is Abraham, 
Sarah, and Isaac. Everybody caught up? We just covered about 10 chapters. And I want to jump in. We're going to start in chapter 22. And it says, sometime later. Now remember, it's now Abraham, Isaac, Sarah. Abraham has waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. And then sometime later. And we'll talk about that a little bit more a little bit. God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, because that's his name, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Well, this took a turn. This is the son of promise. And God says, I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. This seems a little dark. You go, go back a verse, if you would. Right here, love. Take this son, take your son, your only son, whom you love. This is actually the first time in Scripture the word love is used. It's the first time. There has been 2,400-ish years that have passed since Adam and Eve between Genesis 1 and Genesis 22. And this is the first time love is ever mentioned. And that love that he mentions is between a father and a son. For the first time, this word is ever used in Scripture. You can go to the next verse. And again, no hesitation, no argument, no squabble. Remember when God told Moses to go see Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go? And Moses is like, nah, it's not a good idea. I think you should probably find somebody else. And he's like, no, seriously. He's like, no, for real, I don't want to go. We don't see that in the life of Abraham. Because remember the verse we read earlier? Abraham believed God, and God used that faith to count as righteousness. So early the next morning, Abraham got up, and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his, to, to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. 
But where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, the two of them went on together. Another way that could have been translated, and I think probably a better way, is the two of them moved in agreement. The two of them moved on up the mountain in agreement. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. There's a lot that happened in those 10 verses. But I want you to notice something. Abraham doesn't hesitate in doing what God asked him to do. And what God asked him to do had to be the most incredibly difficult thing anyone could ever be asked to do. Now, if you grew up like I did in Sunday school, you may have recognized a picture like this. Anybody, this look familiar to anybody besides me? Like, oh yeah, this is the kind of artwork that was in our, our Sunday school book. Or pictures or cartoons or coloring pages that depict this story depict it a lot like this. You got the older Abraham, older, stronger, wiser, and the young boy Isaac, right? Which is it's a terrible fire because there's like 22 twigs. It's going to be a real short one. And this is the story, right? Isaac is between 20 and 37 years old. It's a big gap. I don't know why that's the, what I've, the research I've done has shown that. Josephus, the Jewish historian, pegged him at about 25. I think he's probably in his early 30s, but there's reasons for that, that I'll explain more of that later. But that is kind of where we have Isaac. I always pictured him in my head growing up as this little boy, as this young lad that is just blindly following dad. But he's not. He's a full-grown man. He's a full-grown man, and Abraham's an old, old man. Okay? Abraham was 100 when Isaac is born, so if Isaac's 25, Abraham's 125. He's an old man. In a street fight, I'm putting my money on Isaac. He's in his prime. Young, strong man. But notice something. Notice what Isaac does. And notice what is not mentioned in the scripture. We don't see, and a fight broke out between Abraham and Isaac. We don't see that there was a skirmish. We don't see that there was an argument. Instead, the scripture says that Isaac is bound and laid on the altar. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Abraham can't do that by himself without a fight, right? So what that means 
is that Abraham, or sorry, Isaac, lays himself on the altar. Isaac, a full-grown man, moves in agreement with his father, allows himself to be bound, lays himself on the altar willingly without a word of hesitation or argument. We want to talk about Abraham's faith, and Abraham has incredible faith. Isaac also has incredible faith. Isaac here just simply trusts his dad. Isaac in this situation says, I don't understand, but I trust you. And that is absolutely incredible to me. He could have stopped and fought. He could have done a lot of things. The scripture does not record that. What we do see is a willingness to be offered because he trusts his dad. There's a guy by the name, you go to the next slide. This is it's a guy named Henry Gruber. And I have uh, told this story more than once, and you may have heard it, but I think it's worth repeating. Henry uh, was a prayer walker. Now, I don't even begin to understand completely what that means, but that is what his ministry was. He traveled the entire world, going wherever God told him to go, praying. God would lead him into places of or dark spiritual places, places with the demonic strongholds, places that just needed a touch. Traveled over 70 countries, six different continents, praying. And God did miraculous things through this ministry. And Henry was reading one day, this story. And the Lord said to him, Henry, would you do that for me? Would you lay your family on the altar? And Henry did what most of us do whenever the Lord says something to us that we don't want to hear. He ignored it. Let's change the subject. Let's move on down the road and do something different. Because I don't want to talk about this. But the Lord was persistent and kept coming back and saying, Henry, would you lay your family on the altar for me? Now, Henry wasn't like Abraham and Sarah. Henry and his wife had 13 children. They're kind of like the Andersons. <laughs> and it may explain why he, the ministry he chose was leaving the country and walking in silence, praying, just trying to get some peace and quiet somewhere. But the Lord kept coming back and saying, Henry, would you, if I asked you to, would you lay your family on the altar? 
And he kept putting it off, and he kept ignoring it. But the Lord did not quit. And finally, the Lord was like, Henry, I need an answer. Are you going to do this or not? Would you do it? If I asked you to do it, would you lay your family on the altar? And Henry said, God, I don't think I could. I don't think I have it in me. I just don't think it's possible. I'm not strong enough. I don't think I can do it. And at least Henry was honest. And the Lord spoke to Henry, and what he said to him has stuck with me ever since I've heard it. The Lord responded to him and said, what made you think they were yours to begin with? They've always been mine. What made you think? You had control over this situation. What made you think that they were yours? Let's go back to the mountain. Isaac is laid on the altar. The sword is, or the sword, sorry, the knife is drawn. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You see, Abraham was ready to carry this out. Abraham is well aware of who Isaac is. See, Isaac is his future. God has spoken to Abraham and said that I will bless the world through you, through the wife or through the child of your wife, Sarah. I will bless the world. I will give you so many descendants you can't even count them. And I'm going to bless the whole world because of it. Abraham knows Isaac is his shot. That is his future. Abraham has also been walking with God a long time. See, there was a time that he may have wondered if God's promises were lacking, which is where Hagar and Ishmael came into the story. But Abraham's a much older, wiser man now. Hebrews says it like this. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God told him Isaac is who is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Did you guys catch that? 
Abraham has enough faith. He's ready to kill him and burn him. Because he believes that if he does, that God will resurrect him. That is faith. This story is not so much about trying to produce faith in Abraham as it is to reveal faith to Abraham. It is telling him, look, you remember when you didn't trust me? Look how far you've come. Look how far you've come now. You remember Hagar? You remember that? When you didn't trust me with your future? Now I know you trust me with your future. It's revealing to Abraham how far he's come. You see, God is omniscient. He knows everything that is going to happen. When he asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he is not caught off guard by what he's going to do. He knew exactly what was going to happen. But you see, this idea of child sacrifice is not really that foreign to Abraham. Abraham lives in Canaan, surrounded by the Canaanites, surrounded by pagans, whose gods demand child sacrifice. But Yahweh is different. He is not a pagan god who demands a sacrifice. What he asks is that you believe. And so it's in the life of Abraham that we see this story is about trusting God with your future. Abraham believed his future was Isaac to the point that if I kill him and burn him, God will restore him. What did Abraham say at the bottom of the hill? We're going to go up, and we are coming back down. He wasn't lying. He fully believed that he was going to carry this out and that God would raise him from the dead. And Hebrews says right there at the end, and in a sense, God did raise him back from the dead. Because for three days in Abraham's mind, it took a three-day journey to get to Mount Moriah. For three days in Abraham's mind, he's dead. But the God of Abraham, the God that we serve, is not like the pagan gods. He stops him and says, look, do you see now? Do you see how far you've come? This is the point of the story, trusting God with your future. Now, I think it's sometimes a lot easier to trust God with our eternity than it is to trust him with our tomorrow. If God ever asks you to offer anything as a sacrifice, anything, we are trusting him for our future. 
if God says, I want you to give that money to that person, you're like, God, I don't really have a whole lot of money right now, but I trust you with my future. When we fast, we trust him to sustain us for the next day. Trusting him for our future. Some of you here today, there have been promises that have been given to you, and you have almost given up hope. Or maybe you have given up hope. Don't. He's faithful. God is always faithful to his people. If we look at the life and this, this picture in time of Abraham and of Isaac, there's a lot to learn. There is a lot for us to dig out and to process. When Abraham offers a sacrifice, a sacrifice has to mean something. If it's something you don't care about or are willing to just toss away, it's not really a sacrifice. God asked for the first fruits, not the last fruits. It was Noah, when he came off the ark, who sacrificed one of only seven animals on the planet that he could eat. That he took on the boat with him. It was a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice trusting that God would still provide. It was a sacrifice. If God asks you, if you've got $10 million in the bank, it's not a sacrifice to give somebody 10. But if you got $10 in the bank and somebody asked for five, that's a sacrifice. A sacrifice has to mean something. It has to be something you're actually sacrificing and giving up. Now, you could never drink a Dr. Pepper for the rest of your life, and you will live. Some of you don't think so, but you will. You'll make it. You could never go visit David Jones at Cruisers ever again, and you will survive. But if you sacrifice food for the sake of God because he's asked you to do it, it's trusting him. And it is a sacrifice because your belly going to grumble. And you're going to begin to wonder what it is that he wants in your life and how to carry that out. And this is how you build faith over time. God had been building Abraham day by day, year by year, to become the man that we see in Genesis 22. It wasn't an overnight thing. From the time that he called him out when he was 75, and now we're probably looking at 125, it was a 50-year process. A 50-year process of day in, Learning who God is and learning how to trust him more and more and more. 
this notion that whatever happens, God is faithful is an incredibly difficult concept for me to grasp. When I was reading this and studying this for the last couple weeks, it's really stuck out to me how the areas in my life that I don't, may not be trusting God fully in my future. Where you try to make things happen. You ever heard the expression, God doesn't help those who don't help themselves? You know where that's at? Not the Bible. Trying to conjure up things in your own head and your own, your own scheming and your own understanding to try to help God along. He just needs a little help. But that is not the way God operates. God is always faithful. He will always answer the call on your life that he is calling you to. Let's go back to the mountain for just a moment. So the angel stops Abraham. And, he's, and Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, let's go back and repeat a little bit. Whenever we were on the way up the mountain, Isaac... Rightfully so, says, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, anybody know what he said? God will provide what? He will provide a lamb, right? He said, God himself will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Now, I'm not a farmer, but a ram and a lamb are different. This ram is full grown, or at least old enough and mature enough to have horns. We know because it's caught in the bushes by its horns. Abraham knew that the whole world would be blessed through him, and that, would, that line would go through Isaac. You see, that day, caught in the bushes, is a ram. But that's not what he said. He said that God would provide a lamb. So, was Abraham mistaken? Or is God mix up the animals? No. You see, Abraham understood that there was coming a lamb. And while he may not have understood it at the moment, there was a ram that was offered that day because there needed to be a sacrifice of praise. 
But a lamb was coming. A lamb was coming to be offered. And it was John the Baptist who first recognized it and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, for thousands of years, there has been prophecy of one who would come who would fix it all. And Abraham says, God will provide a lamb and is speaking prophetically prophetically thousands of years into the future to the time when Jesus would walk this earth. And it was Jesus, much like Isaac, who would willingly carry his own wood up the hill. It was Jesus who would willingly lay down himself on the altar like Isaac did. The similarities between these two are phenomenal. And it's the same Jesus who comes and lays himself down because he trusts his dad. He trusts his dad. That once he dies, God will resurrect him. It was a three-day journey from where Abraham was to Mount Moriah. And like I said, in, for three days, Abraham counted him as good as dead. And Hebrews said, in a sense, he did receive him back from the dead. And it's not ironic that three days later, Jesus rose, Jesus rose from the dead. God doesn't do anything by accident. Once you really begin to dive in and you look at the text and you look at the scripture, then you will begin to see all these different things that have come along that God has placed in order over and over and over again. No coincidences. Nothing ever surprises God. It's almost like there was a plan from the beginning. Worship team, y'all can go ahead and come on up. Last verse. So Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. He comes in and he says, God provided. And God will provide in the future when that leather lamb comes to be offered for our redemption. You see, because of Abraham's faithfulness, because of that, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, I get to be grafted into this story. 
I get to be a part of this history. And we all, believers in Jesus Christ, get a seat at the table that we were never deserved. The Lord will provide. About 12 to 1400 years after this moment, on Mount Moriah, the same place, Solomon begins constructing the temple. Now, I don't have proof of this, but because God is such a God of order and just does things in such a cool and awesome way, my belief is that right where Abraham built this altar, set the Holy of Holies. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And he's always provided for his kids. So if you would, just in the room, if you could just, just bow your head for a moment. And let the Spirit speak to you today. And what are some areas in your life that maybe you're just not trusting him with your future? Or you're not trusting him with, your, with his provision? What are some areas where you're trying to make things happen? And I want you guys to understand something as well. I said this earlier, but I want to repeat it. Don't beat yourself up if you're not there yet. It took 50 years for Abraham to get to this point. But it took day in, day out, conversation and relationship with the God who loves you. Do you want to know if God loves you today? Let me tell you this. You see, God told Abraham, I know that you love me because you would not withhold your son from me. And God did not withhold his son from you. So God loves you today. Maybe we just need to learn to trust 